Well, it's always good to be back together and to open the Word of God together. I, I, I sometimes am uh, a little leery of of hearing what you've learned from a message that I've preached. Um, and yet, at the same time, since we've done it over the last several times, it's it's rather encouraging to me to uh, to know that the Holy Spirit's doing what the Holy Spirit does. Each and every time, I've told you this before, each and every time I come to the pulpit, I, I just pray to myself, I believe in the Spirit. Uh, without the Spirit working in us, we we won't understand anything, right? The Bible says that, that we have the Spirit been given to us so that we might understand. He leads us in truth. And so I pray to that end, and and uh, and in hearing what you have said and the things that you say from time to time in reference to what is being taught, it's obvious the Spirit is teaching you things. Um, and And I'm so grateful for that. I'm thankful for what you're hearing, what you're learning. Um, things that I go, man, I didn't say anything like that. I'm glad they, they picked that up somewhere in there because that was, that's, that was wonderful. And so, um, so I appreciate that. It's good to hear that. And it's, uh, good to be able to, to interact with those things. It's, it's interesting, you know, when I was in seminary, we had to do preaching labs, things like that, teach in front of your other colleagues and students, and they would evaluate your messages. We've done that here with some of the men and and so it's kind of like that for me every Sunday. Uh, you guys get to hear and then you evaluate and tell me what you've learned. And it's good for me because I, I get to to uh, be edited and adjusted by God's grace. So thank you for that. Well, let's just bow in a word of prayer as we begin our time. Father, thank you for uh, tonight once again this opportunity to to just open your word and to sit under you, sit at your feet to hear from you. Lord, your word is so rich and deep. Things that are unfathomable to us, we could spend uh, every day of our life on this earth in one word and not exhaust the details and reality of what it means in eternity for us. So tonight as we just touch on what you have here in this precious book, Lord, I pray that that we would absorb it, take it in, that it would affect us, move us, change us, shape us, and turn us into a picture, a reflection of your glory and the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. So thank you for our time in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's take our Bibles tonight and turn in them to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, this is such a profound letter, Um, such a profound letter. I know know certainly we could say that about any of the books of the Bible, and yet there is something in Ephesians that strikes me in ways that no other book does. Of course, we have just dipped our toes really into the swimming pool of, of what is here for us. And yet we came away from our time last Lord's Day, at least I did, awestruck by the reality of what God desires from us as his children uh, in that we understand him. He, he desires from us here that we know him that we know Him in the most intimate way, that we know our God in ways that no one else could know God without God doing something for us to become His own. He wants us to know Him so that we might, in fact, live for Him in every way that we ought to as His children. In fact, this is the Apostle Paul's desire, even as he writes, notice what he says, beginning in chapter 1 and verse 15. Paul says, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith of, of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Why? 
so that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. This this is important for us to know. It is God that we are needing to analyze. Not analyze in such a way that we find mistakes that would never happen. We cannot find a mistake with God. God is perfect. We understand that. But we are to analyze God. We need to analyze God in order to gain an understanding of who God is. Though, we will never totally exhaust our understanding of God. We, God desires that we know Him, that we have a knowledge of Him through what He has done for us, so that with the intent that we might live for Him as He has planned, live for Him as He has intended for us, live for Him as He equips us to live for Him. Now, you remember last Lord's Day as we began our time here in Ephesians chapter 1 that Paul began reminding us of what we are and who we are. What we are and who we are. And that has all come about through and by the will of God. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus. That is simply to say that if if we are going to understand what we are, if we are going to understand who we are, then we must first understand that God is foremost in it all and in all things. God is foremost. If we go away tonight with one thing on our mind, I would hope it would simply be this that my life needs to be in continual praise to God. Continual praise to God. This is what Paul is, is getting at right out of the gate as he announces himself to these people, these believers, who I told us last time, it says here they are at Ephesus, but we're not really sure. In some ways, there's a lot of contradiction as to whether this was written to specifically Ephesus or was just simply a cyclical letter that was going around to the churches because there are variations in some of the earliest manuscripts that this is written to those in Laodicea. And many of those... epistles like Colossians and others were cyclical letters. In other words, they were to be read to not just the church they were written to, they were to be read to many of the churches. But Ephesus certainly was a church that had significant influence and was in a place that all of the the truths that Paul is unfolding here for us uh, it was certainly be need to be on their heart and mind as they lived it out under the temple of Diana that was there in Ephesus that Russ even said about this morning in his Sunday school class. But Paul says this is by the will of God. In other words, who Paul was had everything to do with who God is. Paul was not something outside of the reality of who God is. And so Paul reminds us that God is the one who has, God is the one who is orchestrating everything in all of life. So the sovereignty of God, the overarching reality of who God is, is is the umbrella here over all of this as we begin. So that is just simply to say that everything that we are is because of God's doing. Think about that in your own life right here as you sit right now. Everything, every detail, every moment, the reason you are what you are by way of your career, by way of your family life, by way of all of those things is because it was according to the will of God. On one part was according to your will. You were interacting in that. You were operating in your life as God had orchestrated and allowed. And yet it's all according to the will of God. I have said this numerous times to friends of mine who have said, what took you to New Hampshire? What, why would you go from Florida to New Hampshire? I said, because God wanted me there. 
God wanted me there. Right? Everything that happens is God's will. Everything in our life. That sounds very simplistic when you think about it. I mean, as Christians, as, as those in a church like ours, where we open the Word of God and we preach the Word of God and we have a high view of God and a high view of God's Word and sovereignty of God in all things. It sounds very simplistic, but according to the wisdom of God, that is monumentally, if not foundationally important for us to grasp and to have at the forefront of our minds each and every day. When we wake up in the morning, we must realize that today is according to God's plan, even though today has not happened yet. So that when the power goes out during a storm, and we lose the conveniences of life, we can sit there in the midst of that and praise God. Because it's God who is in control of all of those things. If we are going to actually live as we ought to live here and now, we cannot forget that reality. If we're going to grasp all the magnificent truth that's even wrapped up here in just the first 14 verses of Ephesians 1, we have to start there. We have to understand that all that's there and all that's feeding the other chapters of this book is because God has willed it so. God has willed it so. This worldly notion that I can be all I can be by my own efforts. This humanistic thinking that if I work hard enough in this world, that it will reward me in a way that I dream of because the world has what I need. That kind of thinking is only self-willed. It is a self-directed kind of life that is void of any kind of realistic contemplation of the supernatural God who is sovereign over all things. And so we have to start in our lives with that understanding that God has willed. And that is why we are who we are and why we are what we are. If we are ever to get to the place in our practice where we actually are living for the glory of of the praise of God, as God demands, we must start with the sovereignty of God. This is why Paul starts there. Paul is an apostle. Why? Because God willed it so. Each and every Christian is a saint. Why? Because God has willed it so. We sit here tonight as Christians, not because We did something, but because God has willed it so. We believe upon Jesus Christ. We are actually those who have the label on us as faithful because and only because God has willed it so. So, beloved, if I can encourage us in any way tonight with any of this, be encouraged in this, that we can never have that lapse in our mind ever. Never allow that to lapse in your mind. We must ever be growing in our understanding that what we are and who we are is by the will of God exercising His will through a vital and actual union with Jesus Christ. You notice he says in verse 1, we are saints who are, he's writing to the saints and the faithful in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. So having, by the will of God, been placed into Christ, therefore we are shrouded in, he says in verse 2, the grace and the peace that is from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God is no longer an enemy. He is our Father. We are shrouded in the grace of God. We we stand in grace. I remember years ago, I was preaching a message in Ohio, and one man came up to me and said, Pastor, where's the grace? Where's the grace? It was, it was a message that was very, very direct at our hearts and the sinful tendencies of our own hearts, and maybe even like a message that I preached this morning, and yet he was saying, where's the grace? Where, where's the place where I can, I can feel a sense of comfort? And I said, brother, we stand in grace. We stand in grace. It is all grace. 
Let us never forget that conviction is grace. We are, we are at peace with God. Grace, that, that New Testament, new church greeting to one another. Grace to you is what they used to say. They would say grace to you. Of course, the Old Testament was shalom, peace to you. And here the Apostle Paul brings those two together. Grace to you and peace. Peace. And so here in verses 3, at least as we have it in our Bibles, 3 through 14, Paul begins to unfold for us all the great blessings that are ours because God has willed it so. Because of God's desire, because of God's will, because of the counsel of His own will through the perfection of the Godhead and how He desired to glorify His name through His Son and by the working of the Holy Spirit. In other words, God's plan of salvation and the way of salvation puts us where we are and it orients us to God. It orients us and places us in that place whereby we are, have all that He has prepared for us who are His children. And it's all... Notice, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Notice, He says this numerous times here in these verses, just these few short verses. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Verse 12, to the praise of His glory. The end of verse 14, to the praise of His glory. That's simply a reminder to us that God desires for us to live to the praise of His glory. This is how we are to live. God accomplished everything to the praise of His glory. And to do that, we must understand who He is and what He has done for us. And so I don't think it's any kind of mistake, and certainly it's not a mistake that the Apostle Paul would put that here three times in just this one sentence, this one run-on sentence in the original language. Why? Because it is the outcome, it is the plan of God and the ultimate reason for carrying out all of the great doctrines that we will hear in these verses. These verses are so locked full of the rich doctrines of the faith that I I was hard-pressed this week to even... even dive into them all. I was telling Chris this afternoon as we were talking downstairs that I, he said, you ready for tonight? You got the, got the gun loaded for tonight? I said, my head is going so many different places. I'm not even sure I'm ready at all. There's so much here. God has accomplished all of this to the praise of the glory of His grace. That just astounds me to think about because I believe that many of us as Christians have struggles in life and many a Christian struggles in things in life. Why? Not because of the circumstances of life. Circumstances will come and circumstances will go. We might attribute our struggles to the circumstances of life and the circumstances of certain things that are happening, but the reality is that we struggle in life particularly as Christians, because we have a superficial understanding of the Scriptures. And because we have a superficial understanding of the Scriptures, we have a superficial understanding of God and what He has accomplished on our behalf. If we rested in the realities of all that God has accomplished on our behalf, the things of this world would fade We struggle because we have failed to strive to understand all that God has given to us. That is why Paul prays as he prays. I I, I want us to hear these words again, beginning in verse 15. Right? I've heard of the faith of the Lord Jesus which exists among you 
and I've heard of your love for all the saints. That's, that's great. You're, you're living. You're striving. But don't cease giving thanks. I, I don't cease to give thanks for you. I make mention of you in my prayers constantly. Why? Because I want God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the same one who is your Father. I want God, the Father of glory, that He might give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Notice verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened Why? So that you will know what is the hope of His calling. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe? Paul says, listen, I'm praying for you because because you're you're a believer. You're a child of the King. But you've got to understand what you have. You have to understand what God has given you, the surpassing greatness of His power toward you. Beloved, we need to have our eyes enlightened. We need to have the eyes of our heart enlightened. That that means that we, we need to gain understanding. We need to grasp what God has for us. We need to understand both the privilege and the future of His calling that we have through Christ. Right? What we have now as a privilege and what we have in the future because we are in Christ. That is our top need according to the Apostle Paul. As Christians, that's what we need. We need to, we need to dig down and, and have our mind filled with the things that God has done for us. That's our top need according to God the Spirit because God the Spirit has led Paul to put these words here. So that that helps us, I think, understand that our top problem as Christians is just that. We lack understanding. We lack understanding. That's our problem. I I, I want us to go back for a moment to Hosea. I just want to... I just want us to see this for a moment. Because this this was the problem with Israel. Notice what what is happening and why it's happening. Hosea chapter 4. Of course, we understand the the picture. Hosea is a a living parable, if you will. He's, He's God's instrument to show God's picture of love for a disobedient and harlot-like wife of Israel he's betrothed to, and Hosea has to go and take his wife who has gone to harlotry, Gomer, and bring her back. In chapter 4, it says this, God is saying this to Israel, Listen to the word of the Lord, O sons of Israel. For the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land. Why? Because there is no faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, there is deception, there's murder, there's stealing, there's adultery. They employ violence so that bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns and everyone who lives in it languishes. Along with the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea, they disappear. So there's there's all this abuse going on. There's human abuse one after another. There's national abuse going on. There's even abuse going on with the animal life around them. They're abusing all of that. So the innocent beasts of the field are suffering at the hands of wickedness. Verse 4 says, and yet no one, or yet, yet let no one find fault and let none offer reproof for your people are like those who contend with the priest. And so you will stumble by day, and the prophet will also stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. Why? My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And why is that? Because you have rejected knowledge. You reject knowledge, you're destroyed because you don't understand me, so I will reject you from being my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. What a sad commentary. They refused to know God. They didn't want to do what God was saying. And so here they are standing against God. They failed to understand who they were. 
they rejected the, an understanding of the sovereign hand of God over their lives. They, they, they refused who they were, and they refused what they were. And most importantly, they were what they were by the hand of God. If they would have embraced those things with understanding, they would never have wandered from God. They would have never gone after idols and gone after foolish living. And so we also, just like them, need to think carefully about what is here. What we have here in Ephesians chapter 1, we have to think carefully because we would have understanding of who we are in Christ. We will live rightly. But when we understand who God is, then we will be compelled to praise God in word and deed. We'll give Him the praise of the glory of His grace. Notice, notice how Paul begins with this in verses 3 and 4. Notice what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Interesting way to say that since he just called God our Father. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, so that we would be holy and blameless before Him. And the commentator or the translators put a period after Him. There's some debate as to whether it should be there. You could include in love and put the period there if you'd like, even though there's not an original period in the original language. This is how Paul begins. Like in verse 1, where the theme is God. And I, I tried to bring that out last time we were together, that, that this is all about the praise and the worship of God. This is the same thing. Paul now continues to the other natural consequence of knowing God. And what is that? Praise. If we're going to understand the sovereign hand of God over all things, then the natural outflow of that understanding is to praise God. In other words, God is to be praised in all that we are going to hear. In everything that we hear in these verses, in everything that comes following these, these words, is a, a motivation, it's an undergirding for us of understanding of who God is so that we might praise God. And so here, Paul begins by answering four questions for us. Four questions. He tells us who is to be blessed. He tells us what the blessings are in general. He tells us why it is a blessing. And then he tells us how it's come to be. Who is to be blessed? What is the blessing in general? Why it's a blessing and then how it came to be. That's really the, the overarching, if you want to look at it as a big picture, the outline that I'm going to kind of try to walk through over the next several weeks here in these verses. So we'll see how far we can get with this tonight. My mind, like I said, is so filled with information about all of this. I, I trust it will be clear just in what comes out. Paul begins by saying, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God. Blessed be God. You can even read it this way. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, is to be blessed. He is to be praised. God is to be praised, and it is praise that ought to be reflective in a constant way in our lives as Christians. We are to be constantly praising God. And isn't that what the Apostle Paul said to the Thessalonian believers in chapter 5, verse 16? What? Rejoice how often? Always. Rejoice always. And if we realize what the Apostle Paul has said already, even just in back in verse 2, if we realize what grace and peace mean for us in relationship to God, then we cannot help but praise God. Because we were once outside of 
this special grace of God that we find in Christ, and we certainly were outside of having any peace with God. God was our enemy. And so if the gospel is true, if God has indeed sent His only begotten Son into the world to do for us all that is listed here in just these first few verses, then doesn't it make sense? Doesn't it seem rather logical? And shouldn't we expect that as Christians, we would live differently than unbelievers live? If God is the sovereign God, if God is the one that wills it so, and if we are in fact within that family of God through Christ because God has placed us in Christ, then doesn't it make sense that you and I would live differently than the world lives? We would not live like them. Shouldn't we expect that as Christians? Shouldn't we expect that we would live in light of the relationship that we have with God and that our living that way would be evidence to all that we are in fact God's children? Shouldn't that produce in us a praise of God? It certainly wouldn't allow us to silence our voices when, when it comes time in a corporate time to praise God. Doesn't it seem rather strange that Christians who, who believe that God has saved them will even now say, well, I can't sing because I don't have a voice to sing? If you understand what God has saved you from and what God has given you in salvation, it doesn't matter what kind of voice you have. You just sing. You just praise God. It's not about being around people, and oh, somebody might hear me off key or something else like that. You just praise God. Or when we're gathered in prayer and it's corporate prayer time, and we don't want to highlight ourselves when it comes to those kinds of things, but certainly we don't want to remain silent in prayer. We want to pray. And if we understand what God has done for us, we pray. We don't remain just silent. Or we speak to others about the grace that God has given to us as we live for Him in a world that needs Him. Beloved, God is to be praised. For He is God. He is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so if we love the Son, and if we praise the Son, then surely we must praise the Father we praise Him because of who He is, but also because of what He has done. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What has He done? He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Those are the most shocking words that we will read in the Scripture. God has blessed us. It's the same word, by the way. We use three times just in this one verse. You notice, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Same word used in different ways. God has blessed us. We praised God. That's the, that's the root behind blessing. Praising God. The word is used often in funerals. It's the root word for eulogy. When we do a eulogy, what do we do? We, we are saying good things about the person. We are, in essence, praising that person. We are sharing good things about that person. And so, God Himself has blessed us. We eulogize God. We say good things about God, we praise God for who He is, and yet God in His grace has lavished upon us His praise. So we praise God because God has lavished upon us all that is good. I find it rather shocking that God, in our praising of Him, 
God is receiving glory as He blesses us, as He lavishes upon us the good things of Himself. All that God has done, all what God has done is good for us. He has blessed us, notice, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The word spiritual, pneumatikos, is the original word there, tells us that what God has given to us are blessings that have no equal in the material world. God has blessed us. We praise God. We praise our Father, the same one who is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is our Father, and He has lavished upon us. He has blessed us. He has praised us with every spiritual blessing, not material blessing, you notice. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. These are not material blessings. These are heavenly ones. They are spiritual, not material. I think we get that mixed up in our Christianity at times. Far too often we think of blessings, we equate them with material things, and we equate them with only good material things. So we par it down even more. We don't consider, as I said earlier, conviction as a grace. It's a blessing of God's grace that we are convicted about our sin so that we might see our sin, turn from our sin, and run to a loving Heavenly Father. And yet, oftentimes we think of blessings only on one side, and it's always the good things, or at least how we define those things as good because it helps me in my material way. It's a blessing in my life. Whatever it is that God provides for me in the material world, Especially if it, it helps me not struggle in life. In my mind, if that happens, that's a blessing. That's how we as humans think. But if all things are for our good and for, our glo- or for the glory of God in life, right? isn't that what Romans 8.28 really is saying? That God works all things for good to those who love Him, to those who have been called according to His purpose. God works all of that for His glory and for the good of those that love Him. We love God, and so whatever God allows is for the good of us, then wouldn't it also include even those things in life that we might not consider as good things because they help us struggle and as trials, wouldn't we consider those as blessings as well? We ought. We understand that God gives material blessings. We understand that. Paul tells us in Philippians 4, certainly that God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ. I think he's, he's intimating material things even though he's emphasizing the spiritual reality. But our material blessings from God pale in comparison to our spiritual blessings. Paul is going to unfold all of these for us in the following verses as we walk through just this first part of the first chapter. We could say it another way. If we are not, listen, if we are not in Christ, this is what he says. He's given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. If we are not in Christ, then there is no blessing for us at all. Mark that down. Put it on the margins of your page. Make sure you understand that when you're talking to friends and neighbors and those who say, I believe in God, but they want nothing to do with Jesus Christ, and they want to assume that they're okay, and that they're going to go to heaven, and that everything's good, and that they're really nice people. If you are not in Christ, there is no blessing at all. That is simply to say this, that every blessing that we enjoy as a Christian or as Christian people at large is because and only because we are in Christ. We have to understand this because we also understand in an overarching sense that God blesses all people, doesn't He? God gives Good things to all of mankind, right? God allows the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. 
my wife and I were driving here today. We we're talking about something in the car, thinking about the wickedness of something that was happening of, that we know about. And I said, isn't it interesting that God's grace just pours out no matter what? God's common expressions of His grace fall upon all people. That's something we understand, but that is not what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians chapter 1. What he's talking about here is a special grace. It's a special grace. It is that special unmerited favor of God. It is grace that is not common to all humanity. This is a grace that is only for the Christian. It is only for those who are of the family of God. It is only for those who have God as their Father in a spiritual sense. It is only those who are linked with the Lord Jesus Christ. It is grace that is only enjoyed by the true Christian. And so if we're not careful, our hearts can have a difficult time with this reality. Why? Because this is one of the truths that differentiates us as God's people from the world. We are who we are and we are what we are because of God's sovereign hand and outpouring of this grace upon us. The world does not have it. We have been given special grace. You say, what, what, what kind was that? Well, it was similar to the kind of grace that was showed to Noah when the flood came and only he and seven others were saved. It was a special grace as God put them in the ark. They were shown that special grace that no one else was given. No one else had that privilege given to them by God as their as God chose them and and saved them from that. And so too, Paul is helping us understand that while the world in its ungodliness, have enjoyed the grace of God in a general way. They know nothing of the blessings that we have mentioned here in these verses. They know nothing of these things. Only we know them. Why? Because these are blessings that are given through Jesus Christ. And so without Jesus Christ, there is no blessing. Without Jesus Christ, there is no special grace upon us. That's what's so sad about so many who assume that they have some relationship with God that will secure them in the glories of heaven, and yet they want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, there is no blessing. You cannot have salvation without Jesus Christ. You cannot have the glories of heaven without Jesus Christ. What makes heaven so heavenly is the reality of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is there. It's not that we'll see one another there. That's going to be wonderful. We'll be able to glorify God together as one glorious heavenly choir. And yet what makes heaven so glorious is the fact that Christ is there. We are with Christ. The reality that there is no blessings in the glories of heaven without Jesus Christ thought to shock people when they hear it. And so Paul emphasizes that all of the spiritual blessings, all of the spiritual blessings in the heavenlies are in Christ. Everything we have in these following verses is linked to us simply because it's linked to Jesus Christ. And so you cannot be a Christian without Christ. He is the beginning and the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He, he is the one in whom all things will come together. Right? This is exactly what the Apostle Paul says at the end of this chapter. God put all things in subjection under His feet. Under whose feet? Under Jesus' feet. And gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all and all. There are no blessings for us apart from Christ. And I have to say this because of the blasphemy of the Catholic Church. I, ha I have to say this. The blessings in Christ, listen, are in Christ alone, and He has no assistant. Jesus Christ has no assistant. Mary cannot help you. No one else can help you. 
There is no other help. Acts 4.12 says it as clear as it can be said. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The name Christ Jesus. Jesus has no assistant to help us get to heaven. And therefore, every blessing that we have has to be in Him and no blessings come any other way. So He and He alone is the one mediator between God and man. And the moment that anyone adds something to Jesus, no matter what it is, no matter how small it is, no matter how insignificant it might seem, then the Jesus that they have is no longer the Jesus of the Bible, no longer the Jesus in which there is blessing, because He alone is the only one through whom blessings come. Let us not forget this or be confused about it. The only way that we are blessed with spiritual blessings is through Jesus Christ alone. It's the only way. It's exactly what Paul is summing up in verses 22 and 23. He put all things in subjection under his feet. And he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. So Paul isn't satisfied in us hearing it just once. Paul isn't satisfied in us hearing, hey, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Paul isn't satisfied by just going, okay, now you know that. No, he mentions it throughout all these verses and he bookends it at the end with verses 22 and 23. Christ is everything. Without Jesus Christ, there is no spiritual blessing. And to emphasize it again, they are spiritual blessings. Spiritual blessings. That just simply tells us that all of the Godhead is involved in the transaction. All of the Godhead is involved. God the Father blesses us exclusively through God the Son, and they come via God the Spirit. And we see this going on throughout this entire thing. In fact, verses 3 to 6 is all about God the Father. If we want to kind of get a, 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 another outline, if you will, you've got God the Father operating in the six, first six verses. And then, of course, God is still operating, but it's about God the Son in verses 7 through 12, where it ends with praise to the glory, to His glory. And then verses 13 and 14, in Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You have the Holy Spirit at the end who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. Why? Because it views the redemption of God's own possession. Who is that? That's us, to the praise of His glory. So the whole Godhead is involved with this transaction. There are heavenly blessings mediated through the Son by the Spirit. And so you have this tr Trinitarian overflow, this Trinitarian outflow that's happening. God in three persons accomplishing the divine will of God to the praise of His glory. Notice also that Paul says that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. I want to I highlight that quickly. Because some of us may begin to think that we as Christians have been somehow shortchanged Maybe I'm a lesser Christian than somebody else. That somehow I, I got into the kingdom in Jesus Christ, but, but I'm lesser than others who are in the kingdom. That my spiritual blessings aren't as much as somebody else's spiritual blessings. That quite possibly I've gotten less or haven't received what I should receive. Or there's some other way to get more of it. But we're reminded here that that kind of thinking is wrong thinking. Each and every Christian has been blessed, notice, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing. That means you have it all. There isn't one lacking. There is no second blessing, as the Pentecostals try to say. There's nothing else we need. Why? Because we're in Christ. 
We've been enveloped in Christ, and so you can praise God for that reality. You have everything you need. It's not that we've been shortchanged. We haven't been shortchanged at all. We have not been left out. You have, as the Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, you have been given everything for life and godliness. This means for us as Christians, being indwelt by the Holy Spirit, empowered by God, and having the Word of God, that the word, I can't do it, should never enter our mouth when it comes to spiritual discipline. The I can'ts are saying that God isn't powerful enough, that God hasn't given me enough, that God hasn't equipped me with what I need to be equipped with to be able to do what God has commanded of me to do. Well, God would never command for me to do something that I could not do that He has equipped me to do. So I can do it. We must be honest with ourselves and just realize the reason we don't do it is because we simply want to rebel and don't want to do it. We can. Notice, again, it's every spiritual blessing, but beloved, lest we forget this, our blessings are not of this world. Paul says, just to highlight again, they are heavenly blessings. They're in the heavenly places. We need to understand that is not simply intellectual. That is in practice. That is in reality. That's just not some kind of mind game. That is reality. You say, what do you mean? I mean that this world is not our place of blessing. Let's think about that. This world is not our place of blessing. We are citizens of another world. How many times have we confused this reality in our minds and we have found ourselves realistically, realistically, I was thinking about this in my own life, man. How many times have I allowed myself realistically to get into the place that I'm so tied to this world, as one person said, that I'm no heavenly good? I'm so attached to the things of this world. Yes, we are here. Yes, we are engaged. Yes, we are using the things that God has given us, but we cannot be so attached to them that we are not heavenly minded. The Bible and true Christianity is not for earthly blessings in the here and now. This is not a book to fix our moral life so everything goes well on the here and now. It's not for that. So that we can edit this world so that we can change it socially and through through political means so that we can have an ease in this world so that we can make it palatable for us to live in and be comfortable here. We shouldn't want to be here. I'm not saying we ought to have some kind of morbid fascination with dying and getting out of this place, but we ought to say, I can't wait to be with my Father in heaven. The Word of God and true Christianity is not of this world. We are here for one purpose. Our purpose is to shine forth the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into light. To proclaim the coming day of the Lord. Why? Because our citizenship is in heaven, and it's in heaven right now. We are simply temporary residents here. I hope we understand we're on our way home. We're on our way home. We are strangers in this world. We do not belong to it. We do not belong to it. And while the world, in the ultimate sense, is God's, the world is fallen. Sin has infected and sin has effected every part of its existence. And while we can and while we should praise God for the glory that it reflects, right? You look around and you see the invisible attributes of God on display. As Romans 1 clearly tells us, you look at the beauty of the flowers and the springtime as life comes back and you reflect upon the glory and beauty of God. But mankind as a whole hates our Father. They hate our Savior. And that makes this world a dangerous place for us. Yet, we hear Paul even say in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 and 18, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. 
while we look, notice, not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are seen are eternal. That's what Paul's reminding us. We have heavenly blessings. They're spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Our blessings are there. And so we have been seen here as who is to be praised. We are to praise God. We are to honor God for all that God has done. And when we have seen Him for what He is, He is to be praised. And so why and how does that all happen? How and why? Well, Paul begins to unfold all of this in the beginning of verse 4. And we're out of time. Let me just read this. Since it's past our time already. Notice what verse 4 says. Just as He chose us in Him. This is so profound. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. So that we might be holy and blameless before Him in love. It's obvious that this is connected with what Paul has just said. It's here that Paul tells us the why and the how that these spiritual blessings have become ours. It's mind-blowing, frankly, what God has done for us. We will not know it all until we end in verse 14, three years from now. Some of us might be asking, though, when are we going to enjoy these blessings? When are we going to enjoy these blessings? The answer is right now. Right now. In Him, verse 13, in Him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge for our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. All of that, Paul saying, is right now these are yours. It means what we have here in and through Christ is just the first installment of what's to come. Just the first installment. In other words, if, if you know this to be good, if you know what God is giving you here in, these, in this passage to be good, wait till you see what comes in the glories of heaven. In fact, here's how the Apostle John said it. 1 John 3, verse 2. Beloved, now we are the children of God. Right? That's ours here and now. We are the children of God. It's ours. We are blessed by God in Christ. And it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. For we know that when He appears, we'll be like Him because we shall see Him just as He is. There's better to come. It's good now, but whoa, is it going to get a whole lot better. So we're already part of God's family, and therefore we should be enjoying all that He has given us within the family of God. We've been blessed, and yet we have here only a glimpse of what is to come when He is present with us. Only a glimpse. It's just, this is just so shocking. Especially when you get to verse 2, or chapter 2, and he begins and says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin. I mean, we're going to climb such a high mountain in the first chapter that when you read that, you go, man, I was so low. That God gave me all this? Mind-blowing. So, so God is to be praised, beloved. That's His ultimate purpose. God is to be praised. That we should be to the praise of the glory of His grace. Mind-blowing. Well, we'll see if we can get a little farther next time. Let's pray.
Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us like you do. Lord, I pray that these things are weighty upon us. We think about them when we wake. We have them on our minds when we walk by the way, when we are interacting with the world around us and their confusion and worry and everything else that goes on. Lord, may these things weigh upon us so that we we will be reminded of all that we have in Christ. That you have given us so much. Is it any wonder that the Apostle Paul would say, what can separate me from the love of God? Nothing. So help us to live with that in our minds and our hearts. Lord, may you be honored through it, praised by it. May the world see in us our Savior, Jesus Christ, that they might turn from sin to him. All God's people said, Amen.